Welcome to the Modern Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Gavin Meenan, and on this podcast, I will be speaking to inspirational individuals who specialize in the field of physical and mental health to offer you the tools that you need to become a stronger, healthier, and more confident man in today's world. Hello and welcome to episode number 58 of the Modern Warrior podcast. Today, I am absolutely delighted to have the legend that is Julia Prezuzo with me on today's episode. And Julia is a licensed mental health counselor. She is a complex trauma specialist, founder of Defining Moments, and wait for it, author of It's Your Mother's Fault. (laughs) Can't wait to get stuck into that one. Julia, how are you doing? I'm well. Thank you so much for having me, Gavin. It's nice to see you. Absolute pleasure. And I came across your page there a few weeks ago. and We've been trying to make this happen for a period of time. So I'm absolutely delighted to finally have you here. Your content is amazing and uh, really relative to me. And it's going to, I said, this episode and this conversation is going to add so much value to the listeners. So absolutely buzzing for this. And yeah, perhaps to open up with, what about this book? Author <laughs> of It's Your Mother's Fault. Okay. So, so, tell us so about- It's Your Mother's Fault, Now What? is the title of my book. Although I don't really focus on mothers. It's really an overview of, mon- of mental health. Um, but my audience really liked that title because I pulled them. So It's Your Mother's Fault, Now What? became the title of the book. And I say it's your mother's fault. And I want to remind everyone, I didn't say that she meant it. And it's really important that we spend some time reflecting on how we came to be, how our belief systems have developed and whether or not they're working for us as adults. And if our lives are not quite working the way that we would want them to be, it's worth exploring the origins and the development of the version of yourself that you have become to determine if perhaps there needs to be a software update in that brain of yours and consideration on some of the beliefs that you have so that you can ultimately free yourself from the pain that you're experiencing. Because normally our belief systems create a sense of inadequacy if we're not quite living up to them. And inadequacy becomes then the the foundation of life. And it's not a very good vibe. (laughs) Mm -hmm, For sure. So this inadequacy will show up in certain areas of our lives in terms of relationships, careers. All of it, everywhere. If there is an inner belief system that I'm not good enough, then the I'm not good enough is going to be mostly an unconscious undercurrent because people are not going to go on a date and say, hey, I'm really looking forward to this date. Listen, I know I'm not good enough for you, uh, but let's go out anyway. No one's going to tell you that. It's going to show up in some behaviors like possessiveness, control, jealousy, insecurity, and behaviors that we then, society goes ahead and, and labels it as toxic. And while the behaviors are toxic, 
Uh, it's not fair to just label somebody toxic and really to be able to peel back the layers to understand that at the root of everyone's insecurity is the fear of rejection and the fear of abandonment. And then we play out in our behaviors these fears, which will ultimately sabotage our efforts, whether it be our careers, our romantic relationships, our friendships, anything and everything can be tainted by that root fear of rejection and abandonment. Mm -hmm. And do you feel that these inadequacies can only come to awareness in relationships or are there some triggers in someone's life, be it right now, say we're, we're speaking to a young man or a young teenager, are there some triggers there right now that um, if, they, if they were to pay attention to it would help them to avoid these pitfalls when it comes to a relationship? Well, I think that if we're, if we're talking to younger audiences, first and foremost, we need to help them appreciate the development of their brain and that the, the brain and its components greatly impact our behaviors. And so when we think about teenagers specifically, they're going to suffer from a lot of emotion dysregulation, um, impulsive behaviors. They have difficulty modulating fear. They have difficulty with willpower. They have difficulty with stamina and energy. And some of you out there are saying, well, I'm 40 or I'm 50 and I'm still having difficulty with impulse control and managing a schedule and organizational skills. And that's not because you're lazy. That is likely because there was an interruption in the development of your brain. And so the frontal cortex of a brain, this part, is responsible for emotion regulation, fear modulation, willpower, motivation, all of these things that we think we can drink out of a bottle. And if the lights are not on in the higher functioning regions of your brain, you're just not going to be functioning properly. And then furthermore, the way that you receive information, the way that you perceive how the world, the world works, the way that you hear things and the meaning that you assign to the things that you hear is greatly influenced by your family of origin. And if you're not paying attention to um, how unoriginal some of your behavior is, if you're not looking for your mother inside of your behavior, if you're not looking for your father inside of your behavior, then you're destined to repeat theirs. And what I say to my clients all the time is get your own personality. Your mother's is played out. And it's only when you have that aha moment. And I know I'm not the only one who's, who's woken up and said, holy shit, I'm just like my mother. And I'm just like my father. And I think sometimes in childhood as well, um, out of ignorance, it's nothing other than ignorance, right? That, that they'll say things like, you're just like your father. And then all of a sudden, you don't even question your behavior because it's been assigned to you. And now you think it's a fixed state and that this behavior is just part of who I am because I am just like 
my father or I am just like my mother, instead of saying, well, you know, that's not so hot. That behavior there that I inherited is, um, is not so hot. And a behavior is different from who I am. I now know the difference between who I am and what I've done. And who I am and what I've done are different things because behavior is a variable that is constantly changing if you're doing it right. <laughs> Yeah. So then we look at childhood and we look at romantic relationships. And there's one thing that everybody has got to accept that we choose our partners because of a familiarity. They're either identical to our family of origin or the extreme opposite. And then we go ahead and engage in the same dances of our childhood with our partner on repeat. So if my father was emotionally unavailable and never made eye contact with me, then men who make it difficult for me to feel valued are the ones that I'm after. I'm after the ones that repeat the dance of my childhood, which is to feel unseen and unheard. And instead of standing grounded as a woman and saying, I'm not going to tolerate that, I work harder because that's what I'm used to. And if you don't tease that apart, then you will unconsciously continue the behavior like a hamster on a wheel and think that what you're doing is original. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm familiar. To, I'm familiar with that and going towards what's familiar, but not what is going to enhance our progress and our, our growth and ultimately our happiness. Although we're in a familiar situation, there's comfort there, but you know, within comfort, it's not always happiness. And something that I've become, you know, in tune with and I've helped other guys as well understand this is the emotional management of your mother as a child. And Unfortunately, I speak to a lot of men, and I'm, I'm sure you're aware of this too, of uh, men who've come from a generation of absent fathers, fathers who were not at home, fathers who were not emotionally available during times of need or during any time, really, to help, um, to help their young son um, develop healthy emotions and, and feelings around certain situations in life or relationships or friendships or women or school or whatever so what that absence um the, the i feel the boy again i can speak from my own perspective the boy becomes overly de dependent on the mother and during that period as well the mother is um the mother is also left on her own because the father is absent he's out of the house the mother has to look after perhaps several children and run the household and understanding too, and you know, this is something else that is very important for everyone to know, and I'm sure you're aware of it, is that whatever trauma, whatever pain, whatever difficulties your parents have gone through as children, as young adults before they became parents, will transfer into their parenthood without their awareness. And ultimately, their pains and their traumas will have a negative impact on, on your life. So if your mother can't somewhat contain her emotions um, and doesn't take responsibility or ownership for it, then 
you the, the responsibility sort of laid on you it's uh, oh you've made your mother upset you've you've made me angry the big one of course is oh you've disappointed me or you've disappointed us which i have heard countless amounts of time in my childhood and it isn't a matter of pointing the finger and blaming parents you just understand the impact of this and understand that you know they simply weren't aware of the the weight of their words and the impact it would have on the child because they weren't taught to manage these emotions and understand these feelings during their own childhood and their own journey in life. However, men these days are also somewhat blind to the impact that their mothers have had on them and this emotional management and to the point where perhaps number one, they're still emotionally managing their mum, so they have no space or room in their life to uh, for another relationship because their mom is all too consuming or else the emotional management of their mother is then transferred over to the emotional management of their partner and again he feels responsible for her feelings and emotions and ultimately beneath all this he believes that it's wrong for him to express anger rage sadness or simply something that's upset him uh, in her actions or behaviors or words so he holds back and all that because oh i better not say this i better not express myself here i better not, better not express my anger because that's going to upset her that's going to make her angry but over time you know that turns to resentment because you you still you push that anger down you, you still have the anger you still have that pain you still have that issue and over time this distance grows and you push her away and ultimately this creates incredible amount of uh, disruption within a relationship and something I'm all too aware of and yeah very interested to hear your perspective on that it sort of maybe goes back to your book maybe you know it's your mother's fault yeah yeah what's your what's your sort of take on that emotional management you've said so much you've said so much in in this and you've described you know what we have clinical terms for and people are very uncomfortable with this because we come from cultures that are collectivistic right i'm i'm the first american italian i'm the first american born to um parents who didn't speak english growing up and my culture is very collectivistic we all work together and working together um, also needs boundaries because boundaries help people understand where the limits are. And if there are no limits, then you are going to spend your life trying to work so hard to get somebody to see you when they are committed to their blindness. And so when a child is born, we cut the umbilical cord and then an emotional umbilical cord is created from the mother to the child and from the father too because fathers produce as much oxytocin, the bonding hormone when they're with babies as mothers do. So it's not true that mothers have more oxytocin, fathers have just as much the research has shown. So the emotional umbilical cord is created for the purpose of feeding the child only the support that the child needs, the emotional support that the child needs. And what happens more often than not 
is what we refer to as emotional incest, where I begin to take from the child my comfort and my emotional needs. I need my child to take care of my emotions. And for a child, it's an overwhelming burden that is something they were never created to do. So when children are parentified, when they are given the responsibilities of being parents and of providing emotional support that now, remember, their brain does not begin to grow a frontal cortex until adolescence. And so for a child, they're only operating from the limbic system, fight, flight, and freeze, and the house of their emotions. It's not a very comforting place, which is why the parents are so integral to creating an environment where predictability, stability, security, reliability are afforded in order for a child to develop a secure sense of self. So now if you have a caretaker who is not present and you have another caretaker who's emotionally um, unstable, then you're creating an environment that is terrifying for a child. And remember that a child now is not able because they don't have the higher functionings of the brain to look at the parent and say, oh no, <clears throat> mommy is not well. Clearly something is wrong with her. A child looks at them and if the eyes that are looking at the child are contemptuous or disgust filled or shame filled, the child says there must be something wrong with me. And this becomes the development of the inner critic that now a child has a bully living between their ears, telling them that they're not good enough. They internalize the caretaker. We call this introjects in psychology. So now I hear my mother's voice. I see my father's disapproving, disappointed stares and all of the meta communication, all of the body language that comes with the shame that is projected when you don't do things the way that they want you to, when you're not allowed to be the separate autonomous individual that you are, when you are simply an extension of them to do what they need you to do. I don't know how many children I know or adult children who were bartenders to their parents at seven years old, completely inappropriate position to put a child in. And yet it was normal because of ignorance, right? However, I heard you say like, you know, I say it's your mother's fault. I didn't say she meant it. And I don't need all of you to skip ahead to the forgiveness and the compassion for your parents. Because if you don't stop to validate your own experience, then all of that is fake forgiveness. If you're walking around still hating yourself, still feeling like an inadequate piece of shit, and you think that your parents are forgiven, then that is just fake morality. It's not real. And you really have to be able to truly feel for yourself and validate how terrifying it was for you to be just at the knees of your parent, looking up at them like the idols that they were and not knowing what the fuck was going to happen next because the environment was completely unpredictable. If you don't take some time to truly appreciate that, then you will only be seeking out people 
who create the same vibe. So now you're going to choose the emotionally unstable partner, the unpredictable partner, the partner who dismisses you, the partner who makes you feel unloved, the partner who has a hard time compromising, collaborating, or being solution-focused with you. You're not going to seek that person out because when you meet a person like that, you don't know what the fuck to do with them. So for you, you're seeking out people that repeat the narrative of your childhood. And if you don't stop to see how bad that actually is, you're going to be dating one dysfunctional person after another. And here's the worst part, thinking that you have the power to make it better for them. I can make them better. I can love you harder. I can hold the space for your trauma because you think it's your mama and you don't owe that type of loyalty to anybody, but you begin unconsciously giving so much of yourself to somebody you met 30 fucking days ago. Why? You have to be asking yourself why. And if you have a sense of self-worth and value that's not tangible by your worldly successes, but an inherent knowing that you are deserving of mutual respect and kindness and consideration and your voice matters and your feelings matter too. And we have to understand the conditioning of men. We have to go back to looking at the fact that our father's job was to go to work. They went to work and they came home and they sat down at the dinner table. They did not say a word to anybody. If your father needed to talk to you, it was usually because you were going to get your ass kicked or something awful. So that was the conditioning of a father that they were not to be available. And so then we look at the difference between boys and girls. When I was eight years old, they gave me dolls and made me play pretend. And Ken, my Ken, my Barbie Ken, he could do anything. And so when I meet a man who doesn't behave like Ken, I'm pissed because the story of what I was able to create is always better than the reality of my mate. And that is always a problem. So if you don't look at how your own unactualized expectations are really um, unrealistic at that and influencing your romantic relationships based on what you were taught, then you're wasting your time. If you're not willing to look at it, then repeat the patterns and think you're doing something original is what I tell people. Yes, for sure. It's to understand that there is a pattern there that's evolved from your childhood and from the relationships with your parents or from your mom. And uh, that pattern is evolving and continuing into your relationships today, perhaps. And it's to understand, okay, is this, is this where I want to be at? Is this actually um, adding value to my life? Is Right. Um, am, I still, you... am I still living with my mom? You know, right. You choose somebody who's just like your mom, who's going to overwhelm you by their emotional needs, which paralyzes you. And then you're going to push that person away because you can't stand it. Nobody wants to be absorbed in a relationship, right? That's codependency is what happens in childhood. I don't know where my mother begins and I end, right? And some of us come out of a womb 
and spend the rest of our lives trying to get into another one because God, that was a really safe and secure space, right? And nothing has ever been as safe and secure as that space. So we get into these codependent relationships instead of interdependent relationships where I can lean on you and you can lean on me. And there's always a space between me and you because you are you and I am me. And I don't want to encompass your whole being. I don't want you to lose your sense of self. And if you're in relationships where, you know, as soon as you start dating somebody, you stop going to the gym, you stop eating well, you stop getting sleep, you're not taking care of yourself. That's the wrong relationship because a partner who is of high value, and I'm not, I'm saying high value because they know that inherently they're worthy of taking care of themselves, mutual respect, and not worldly possessions. I'm not talking about high status. I'm talking about high value, and there's a difference. And so a high value person is going to say, hey, honey, go work out. Go get some of that energy out of your body. Did you sleep okay last night? Are you hungry? That's the difference. And not gimme, 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 gimme. So you're attracted to the gimme, gimme, gimme person because they mimic mommy. And then you resent them for doing exactly what they're supposed to do. So you need to pick a new person, which means that you have to stop having a type. My type was the godfather. And that wasn't working for me for a variety of reasons. But that's what I was conditioned to be attracted to. And then I wondered why I kept getting the same result. I had to get a new type. And it's not Robert De Niro anymore, although he can look like Robert De Niro, but it can't be the characters that De Niro has played in some of the movies that I have been raised on. Does that make sense? Yeah. Robert De Niro, he's, oh, he's over the hell now, though. You can do better than that. <laughs> so, <laughs> the younger version of Robert De Niro, yeah? That, that's what you're talking about. Who is the ver- I mean, Chaz Palmatieri from A Bronx Tale was like my boyfriend when I was 14, and he was like 50 <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> On repeat, yeah, okay. Yeah, well, that, uh, yeah, that, yeah that's, that's incredibly powerful. And yeah, the one thing you've been mentioning there and something, again, I've come to uh, become aware of is... Uh, feeling validated as a as a person that my feelings that my emotions that my words matter and i remember again numerous occasions where i quote unquote stepped out of line um, and upset my parents or disappointed my parents and they'd be standing there and they would be um they'd be giving out or they'd be um going through the whole process of disciplining me and and um tell me that they're disappointed and angry and i would just sit there and i wouldn't say a word i would stare at the wall i would be um very passive and from my understanding now yes i didn't express my words because hey my words don't matter whatever i say it doesn't matter you know these are of higher power and if i say something it's going to upset them more it's going to make my mom even anger it's going to make my dad even more disappointed so I just sat there and I took it but what happens then is or what happened to me is you, you suppress that rage it does turn into absolute rage and anger um, towards them and in a subconscious way 
it comes out and I started doing things subconsciously to hurt them. That's the other part of the parenting. And like, as an immigrant kid, the sacrifices that my parents have made sure that I knew every fucking, everything was a sacrifice. And the other thing that you have to truly appreciate as a man is your gender conditioning. So I'm being given dolls at eight years old and you're being told to man up and you're not allowed to have any other feelings other than happy, mad, or sad. And you have to manage those three. You're not allowed to show any more sensitivity. And there was actually a research project that was done out of the University of Rutgers in, in New Jersey, in America, that showed healthy mothers ignored their sons 100% of the time when they showed negative emotions and only tended to their daughters 20% of the time. This was in healthy mothers. And the reason for it was they were afraid that if they tended to the boys' emotional needs, that they would somehow contribute to them being gay. Right. And so we can't we can't have sensitive boys because sensitivity automatically equals homosexuality. And that's the other elephant in the room that needs to be addressed. You're not even allowed to have any feelings because you can't look like a girl. You're going to be you're going to cry just like a girl would. And you don't understand that's the the real trauma, the trauma that didn't involve getting a frying pan to the back of the head is being told that you're not allowed to feel because if you feel then you must be a, a wuss or a sissy or a girl just like a girl no boy ever wants to be just like a girl no no greater offense than that so where do you draw the line where does it begin at helping them to process their emotions and then yeah, that's just it. Instead of we all we got was what's wrong with you and not what happened. Hmm. What happened? Help me understand why. So if a parent is not emotionally mature, because many of them aren't, I mean, if I trace my family lineage back, um, my grandparents were, were the Mussolini parents, like they are stone cold poverty they nobody's got time for your fucking feelings it's not because they were bad people they just didn't they didn't know they used to believe that there was no emotional connection from a fetus a baby growing in the mother's womb there's a there's a study out there called the still face mother experiment that you can youtube it's two minutes of powerful understanding that they didn't believe there was any emotional connection between a baby and a mother until they were older. And you'll see that when the mother simply stops responding with her facial expression, the baby loses its posture, immediately recognized from just not having the emotional attunement. So forget about the fact that we were neglected and you know um, disciplined, bordering on child abuse just not having eye contact the the head nods the there you go that's right attaboy you got this just not having that produces a trauma response neglect is a whole nother level of trauma that nobody wants to talk about because we're too busy ranking trauma and saying well you that's all that happened to you well wait till i tell you this one as if the brain 
has some catalog cataloging system, right? The pandemic was a prime example of this. I would do my, I do my lives on Sunday, self-care Sunday, for those of you who follow me on Instagram, just a one hour live Q and A. And people will say things like, what do Americans have to be upset about during a pandemic? As if the brain is like, oh yes, you entitled spoiled Americans. Look at, you shouldn't feel that way because look at the children in, in this region of Africa. Like, what do we do? We are minimizing a human experience because we don't think they're entitled to it. And if we could instead just validate a person's emotions, I know, I say this all the time, I feel this way and I know that my feelings are not facts and I need to express them. I feel this way. My feelings are not facts. Give me 90 seconds and we will process right through it and we can both move on with our lives. But if you tell me, no, you can't feel that way. You shouldn't feel that way. Your neighbor's dog lost its leg. They should feel worse. You shouldn't feel as bad. We keep making people feel bad for having a fucking existence. And then we wonder why there's so many unhappy, hungry ghosts out there looking for just an ounce of validation. I'm not here to talk you out of your story or how you feel about your story. I'm here to say, I hear you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's it. trauma is trauma at the end of the day. It doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't matter about the experience. That, yeah, the, the brain is not like, come on, Gavin, you think that was traumatizing? No, the, the brain has trauma responses in the womb. We have seen on on ultrasounds that babies in the womb floating around in their little sack, everything is good. And then the external environment sounds really scary and they're cringing. That's a trauma response in the womb. Some of you were traumatized before you even got here. Intergenerational trauma, mm -hmm. right? Was your mother with a happy heart when you were in her womb? Was she singing to you couldn't wait for you to be here or was she like fuck how are we going to feed another one right her so, mother was her mother with a happy heart while they were in the and keep going yeah we can understand that and if we go if we keep going then we can stop taking things so personally too it's like you know, to think it's all about me is really just low hanging fruit on the family tree. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. yeah. When you start to look at it, it's like to make it all about me being the, the rotten apple or the bad bun, the bad one is just really low hanging fruit Yes. on that family tree. Yes. It goes deep. And yeah, it just, you've just sort of reminded me of um, my turning point perhaps where um yeah, I was in a very bad place maybe four years ago and um, had a serious issue with porn and um, some of that came to light and my world was falling falling around me uh, into pieces. And I remember just sitting there and just taking some time to myself at that point. And I'd already been doing a lot of self-development work and this sort of, it was something from the past that just came out and certainly knocked me and I remember just sitting there and I hadn't gone to that depth before but I just sat there in the car thinking okay how the fuck did I get to this point and ultimately what happened was I was so addicted to uh, pornography that I was in these webcam chat rooms and stuff and things were 
exposed and whatever else. And then um, there were actual clips of me uh, posted on a porn site that were circulating around my hometown and um, basically completely exposed. And and uh, yeah, like I had a thriving business and um, I felt oh, I'm going to lose everything. And uh, I don't know how to get back from this. And I'd been in difficult situations before and, but I just sat there and I thought, okay, how the fuck did I get to this point? And I just, that's exactly what I did. I started to go back and I started to ask myself, okay, what were my, what was my grandmother? Like, you know, she was quite an anxious person. She's always praying, you know, always very worried, always very concerned. What was my mom like? My mom was also, my mom was always worrying. She's always worried. She's always anxious. Hang on a second. Hang on a fucking second. Am I like a really anxious person? And I've been using this porn as some sort of a, an escapism from that anxiety. Fuck. Yeah. Jesus, yeah, that 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 does make a lot of sense. And uh, I've been, as I said, it's, it was sort of a, me running away from fear sort of thing. Me escaping from um, difficulty. Escaping, right? Escaping because sex, food, um, workaholism, drugs, these are all primitive, primitive forms of self-soothing. Drugs, sex and um eating are primitive forms of self-soothing and thank goodness that you didn't get stuck there thinking that there was just something fundamentally fucked up about gavin and this is it right thank god that you that you were able to dig a little bit deeper to say like hmm maybe i am trying to escape something and you're like sex is such a primitive self-soothing Mm. technique you're gonna go for that before you go for yoga because nobody nobody reinforced yoga sex is instinctual sex is an instinctual thing for humans right yoga is not instinctual me grabbing my singing bowl before grabbing a cookie is something i had to train myself to do mm -hmm. discipline going for self-discipline is also a frontal cortex command mm -hmm. willpower self-discipline like yeah it's it's something higher functioning of the brain so if the if the functioning of the brain if the lights are not all on in the brain you're depressed you're clinically depressed and some of you are clinically depressed your whole lives you were trained to be anxious you were trained to be depressed because like you said, grandma was praying and worrying all the time. Mom was worrying all the time. Guess what happens to you? It gets transferred, transferred through, through the umbilical cord. So if a mother is in a high stress situation, she's pushing stress hormones through the placenta like cortisol and adrenaline you're already getting overloaded with it in the womb. You didn't even get a chance to get here yet. And you're already coming out of that. Nobody comes out of the womb like, oh, wow, so happy to be here. We're all like, fuck, it's cold. What are these lights? Who are these people, right? The detachment from when we get evicted from our mother's bodies, like it's that first detachment pain is a hard one. We have to be able to appreciate that. We don't have memories that's in part of our implicit memory, but that doesn't mean it, it wasn't hard. 
And we have to pay reverence to every version of us that lived in this body before this version got here instead of shaming them. And I know there's parts of me in my 20s, I, I still cringe a little when I think about her. But at the end of the day, she's valid too. I know that she made the decisions based on what she thought she needed to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's- I could talk to you all day, Gavin. I really could. Thank you for this opportunity. Yeah, likewise. Um, that's amazing. Yeah, and that's again something I've had to come to peace with is not to be looking back at my 20-year-old drunken porn addict self <laughs> and think, man, you fucking idiot. It's right. Had to go to the process of here, man. Look, that guy was in a lot of pain. That guy was going through a trauma that he was completely unaware of. That guy had come from so many difficulties in his childhood that he was unaware of. Give him a fuck. Yeah, stop kicking him. Yeah. Stop kicking him while he's down and, and walking over him. Instead, you lend a hand and you put him over your shoulder and you say, hey, man, it was the best you could do with what you knew at that time. Because, and, and I'll close with this piece, self-trashing behavior, like casual one-night stands, getting drunk to blackout, doing drugs to blackout is is glamorized in our society today. If you're not self-trashing yourself, then you're the oddball out. So those of you on this podcast, those of you that follow Gavin, those of you that follow me, we don't fit in and that's okay. You're not supposed to in a society and a culture that perpetuates mental illness by encouraging you to go fuck anybody that you want you can do whatever you want to do. If it makes you happy, just do it. As somebody who has pursued happiness with every ounce of me, I can assure you that that's not it. But I also know you're going to have to walk this path on your own in your own way. I'm not here to judge. I just try to wave some flags and say, hey, you don't have to do that to yourself. You don't have to treat yourself like a human dumpster. You can have a little bit more self-respect. And if you have more respect for yourself, you're not going to go seeking relationships where you're disrespected as a baseline. Yes. Brilliant. Well, as, as you said, we could talk for hours. And All day. I think, we'll, I think we're going to have to... Uh, you're gonna have to come on this podcast again sometime in the future. Take two, yes. Yeah, but uh, for the time being, Julia, thanks so much for for that um, massive amount of value and insight and inspiration for all these listeners. And if they do want to reach out to you, find you, grab your book, go and grab her book, everyone. Uh, where can they? Where they work? Where can they find all this? Yeah, you can find me at my defining moment on Instagram, on TikTok, on YouTube, on on every platform that I could possibly put energy in. My website is definingmomentsllc.com and my book is available on Amazon. Sweet. I'll add all all those links in the show notes below. So go check them out. And until next time, Julia, thank you so much and have a great day. Thanks everyone.